Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another episode of Words and Nerds, where we bring you literary goodness straight to your ears. Leon Tanner has been dynamited while scuba diving and arrested while busking. We're going to have to talk about that. She once spent a week in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, of Papua New Guinea, hunting for a Japanese soldier left over from the Second World War. Nowadays, she lives by the beach in southern Tasmania and writes amazing books, including the Rogues trilogy, the Keepers trilogy, Clue for Clara, and the book we're going to talk about today. Reader's Revenge. Welcome. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for Danny. Thanks so much for having me. Now I need to know about the dynamite. I'm not sure what to ask about. There's so many things, but I'll <laughs> ask about the dynamite while scuba diving. Tell me about that before we kick off with the book. It just sounds really interesting. Okay. Yeah. I um I taught in Papua New Guinea for three years, and two years of that were near Rabaul on the Gazelle Peninsula. And so while I was there, I learned to scuba dive. And um, I, we, uh, I was diving with a bunch of friends one day who were professional shell collectors. And uh, a bloke in a boat up above us decided that on that particular day, instead of using a fishing line to catch his fish, he would use dynamite. Oh. And he chucked it into the water almost directly above our heads. Wow. We, were, we, were about, um, we were about 30 metres down. Uh, so it didn't kill us, uh, which was, you know, a, a, plus. a bonus, a really big plus. Um, but it was extraordinary. It was it was wow. like being hit by a truck. You know, oh the, my goodness, the, the impact of the shock going through the water. And I'm assuming when it happened, you had no idea what it was. We, we had no idea what it was, um, except that there were dead fish all around. Oh us. wow! And my friend Brian, who was who was kind of the leader of the of, of the group, um, he figured it out. He, mm-hmm. he, I don't know how he figured it out, but he figured it out. And I feel like if you're going upwards, to, oh right, I feel like if you're going to dynamite fishing, making pa- frantic paddling motions, and so we swam up because we were scared he'd do it He's again. He's going to do it again. Yeah. yeah, I um, I feel like that's cheating. Um, in oh. terms of fishing. <laughs> I mean, it's such a disgusting thing to do at any time. Mm, On many levels, yeah. It kills everything. It kills turtles. It kills sharks. Oh, of course. That's awful. You know, just Mm. just absolutely everything. And and so all this, so we swam up like crazy. And and as when we came up out of the water, we actually saw him um, paddling away. He must have seen us coming up and realised that we were down there and not sort of thought about the fact that our boat was up there and all mm, that sort of mm, stuff, you know, mm, like it's just sort wow. of made him wake up. But so it was it was a really horrifying experience. Um 
but it makes a great story. It does make a great story. <laughs> and when I was looking up, you know, your bio on your website, I thought, well, you know, you have to ask about that. You do. You really do. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's kick back into the book, uh, Reader's Revenge. It was really lovely to see you at um, CBCA conference in Canberra. And you got up there with little Rita and you did this great sort of pitch for your book to everyone. So that was really cool. It's been great to see people in real life, right? It was lovely, yeah. It's a lovely conference. So give me an elevator pitch uh, for Rita's Revenge. Okay. Rita is a duck. She's also a poet, which creates mm, a problem because ducks are not supposed to be poets. Mm. The, the ducks in Rita's flock have very strong opinions about the sort of things that ducks are allowed to do. And the, that includes things like hissing and biting and chasing cows and pigs and rude songs and, um, and, and warfare and thuggery and piracy and all that sort of stuff. But poetry isn't on the list, which means that ducks absolutely don't do it. And Rita is in disgrace because at the last duck talent night, she made this huge mistake and recited a poem that she'd written herself. And so now none of the other ducks are talking to her. They won't even look at her and she has to try and get back in their good books somehow. <laughs> Luckily, there's this chook called Clara and she has been going around telling everybody that ducks are mad. And so now everybody in the town of Little Dismal believes that ducks are mad and they are laughing at the ducks and the ducks are furious. The ducks want revenge. So Rita has volunteered to be the one who goes and gets revenge on Clara, wreaks this terrible revenge. She has no idea what she's going to do, uh, but whatever it is, it is going to be absolutely amazing and it is going to make all the ducks in Little Dismal forget that she ever wanted to be a poet. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, when you say piracy, bullying, warfare, thuggery in ducks, I, I see that. You know, I've been chased yeah. by a few ducks in my life. You know, they look lovely on the water, but when they're on the land, they kind of fit into that sort of, you know, way you yep. described them. You would be amazed at the number of people who have said to me, I have been bitten by a duck and I'm really glad that you've written this book to show people what ducks are really <laughs> like. Right. They look beautiful, you know, when they're swimming, but exactly. and they can't bite you. <laughs> now, Rita is a great character and I love how, you know, the, this duck's a poet. She's an outcast. Tell me about the development of this character. Um, oh, gosh. The whole, the, the idea basically, you know, it's a follow-up to A Clue for Clara. Yeah. So A Clue for Clara is the one, the one about the chook. Um, and I had this jo joke running through A Clue for Clara about ducks being mad. And, and so I wasn't actually going to write a sequel. You know, like all of my books start off as standalone books. Oh, interesting. That was um, a question I did have for you as well. Yeah, I have, I have never intended to write a series mm. of any sort. And yet you um, have many. And yet I have, <laughs> I have quite a few. Um, but what happens is that I get to the end of the first book and I start trying to write something new, but that world of the first book pulls me back. And, and this happens every time. You know, you would think that I would expect this by now. But exactly the same thing happened with, with, with A Clue for Clara. I set off to write something completely different afterwards and I kept being pulled back. And I kept thinking about this thing about ducks being mad. And um, I just it just struck me that 
I would really like to write a book from the point of view of a duck. You know, having written a book from the point of view of a chook, um, a, a, a duck seemed to me so much more of a loose cannon, mm-hmm. uh, a loose cannon sort of character, a, a sort of slightly um, a, 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 a more ferocious character, but maybe an even more innocent character than, than Clara in some ways. I mean, I one of the things I really like, I've really enjoyed about writing these two books is I really like the naive protagonist. You know, like I really like having a protagonist who sees the world in a very, perhaps a very limited way that, you know, they've learnt about the world from a particular angle and they don't understand most of it. So, so we've got these two these two uh, the chook and the duck both coming into the human world knowing virtually nothing about it and with lots of misconceptions about it um so that clara i I really enjoyed that with clara so i I did a similar thing with rita but because she's a duck um and the whole the whole whole in in the book the whole of duck society is basically based around warfare on on other creatures and um so I thought I really wanted to have this this character who didn't fit in, uh, because people who don't fit into where they're trying to fit into are the most interesting people to write mm, about. Absolutely, you know, people who fit in are not particularly interesting. It's it's the it's the loners. It's the misfits. The, outcomes, mm, the misfits, yeah, yeah. Who, are, who are just a delight to write about. Mm. Um, so I, I was thinking, well, well, who? Who doesn't fit into the warrior cast? Uh, and it's the dreamers, it's the poets. Um, and, and so Rita started to grow out of that. And I started playing around with the idea of duck poetry and thinking, well, you know, what sort of things would a duck write poetry about? And, <laughs> That's an interesting and, question. And that, was, that was just the most fun. It was, it was really fun to develop. Mm. Um, and, and just Rita's approach to the world, because all of her um, uh, as her character grew, it became more and more obvious to me that, that all of her upbringing, all of her training is about warfare, but it doesn't fit the situation that she mm-hmm. finds herself in. And so she's kind of being forced back into her, her true self, which is the poet, Yeah, uh, which, which was really lovely to write. It's really cute. Um, now, you said you had fun writing it, mm-hmm. and I think you can tell when you're reading it when the author's having fun. And so is that when you knew this is going to be funny or fun for kids because you were having fun with it as well? Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I, my previous books, the trilogies, the fantasy trilogies, they had funny bits in them, but you wouldn't call them funny books. You know, they, they were kind of serious books with the occasional laugh in them. Um, and so actually when I wrote Clara, I, I actually set out to write a funny book. I, I thought that this was something I would really like to do. Um, and one of the reasons that I did it was because when I go into schools, um, I, uh, for my, my trilogies, my fantasy trilogies, which I'm very proud mm. of, um, for a lot of kids they are too intimidating, you know, like they are long books and, yeah. and they're quite complex books. And so I wanted something slighter and funnier uh that was more accessible Mm. 
And, and, and what was it um, like changing gears like that? You know, because you look on your website absolutely. and the books are very different, which, you know, of course, most writers have more than one genre in, you know, their brain. But what was that like changing gears from all the trilogies to then going it was to Clara and Rita? <laughs> it was really weird. It was really, really weird. Um, and it came about partly, I mean, partly because my, my last trilogy, the Rogues trilogy, didn't sell particularly well. And, um, and so my publisher said, I, you know, like I offered her something else along the same lines, and, and she said, look, we love it, but no, uh, which, which is pretty devastating. Yeah. Um, and she said, we love the way you write about animals. We would really like to see something written, something from you. Wow. Written from the, first, from the point of view of an animal. And so kind of when I came, got, overcame the total humiliation of having been... <laughs> rejected <laughs> as is the life of a writer really, I, I, it is totally the life of a writer and I can laugh about it now but at the time I was mm. devastated mm, you know like it, because you put so much of yourself into these books and um and it felt so much like oh everybody else is doing so well and I, uh, you know and I'm being rejected and and of course it's not like that but uh, and and the more I learn, everyone's being rejected. Everybody's <laughs> being rejected. Yeah, and I and I'm coming to realise that um, being a writer, making a life as a writer, is about reinventing yourself over mm. and over again. And and if you don't do that, then you're going to end up just not being published because mm. the fashions in publishing change, what people want to read changes, all that sort of stuff. I like that idea of reinvention and I like that idea of, as well, you know, and we see many authors do it brilliantly, you know, like Jackie French and Jack Heath, um, you know, we see people like that switching gears between adult and, and kids and different genres. And so it can mm. be done, but it's funny how, you know, people say, no, you write trilogies and you do this and you do that. So it's really nice to see that you have transformed yourself and yeah. been able to write in a completely different way and bring out a completely different book. And it's been, you know, wildly popular. Yeah. Look, I, I think um, it, the, the whole reinvention thing is so interesting. Mm. I, I, I had no idea how to go about it. You know, like I, I, I as I said, I, I sort of wallowed in humiliation for a while <laughs> um, and then realised that I had to do something, actually <laughs> do something. And I was talking to my agent and I kind of had several ideas and I said, oh, you know, I've got this idea and then I've got this idea about a chook who wants to be a detective. And she just about let down the phone at me. You know, she said, yes, yes, that one. Absolutely. You're like, I one. think I have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and the idea and and I actually took quite a while to find my way into it. I, it took me um because I, as far as I was concerned, I wrote fantasy trilogies. Mm. That was what mm. I did, you know, and, and you think that is what you'll do for the rest of your life when you've kind of had a bit of success at something. You, yeah. you that will just keep going. Um, so I didn't know how to approach this new book, and I and I I bashed away at it for several months trying different ways into it and I could not find the voice mm -hmm. for it um, and so I actually put aside again several times and thought no I'll have to write something else and but when I came back to it and I suddenly thought a diary and when I started the diary when I when I realized oh, that I could do it in diary form and that um that it broke up the text, which again sort of fed into that accessibility thing that I was trying to do. Um, it broke up the text into small amounts. It made the whole story really immediate and it made 
both Clara's and Rita's voices really strong. Mm-hmm. You know, their, their voices were, were really immediate in, in what they're saying. And, and, and it allowed their characters to come, come through really well. Um, I sort of, I, it was much easier, I found, to do it as a diary and in their direct voices than it was to try and write it as, as kind of uh, third-person prose, you know, um, which would have just been me again. Mm. Uh, and I sort of felt as if I didn't want to write it as me again because yeah. me had been rejected. So <laughs> it was much better. <laughs> it was much, do I sound bitter? No, no, I'm just saying, are you even a writer if you haven't been rejected and someone tells exactly. you they hate your story? Like you mustn't be yeah, a very good writer if that hasn't happened to you. <laughs> well, it's even worse when somebody comes up to you at a festival and tells you how much they adore your books and then they name a book that somebody else wrote. Oh, <laughs> do you just take the credit like what do you do there i'm gonna to have to start doing that for I future to, I, reference I tell them it's not what me, do you do you go thank you thank you so much yeah. can i sign your book yeah. <laughs> exactly but I, yes um the the whole the diary thing was was a real breakthrough and once i got the diary thing um i actually wrote about uh 15,000 words and then wow. I, I got my agent to send it to my publisher because I was so lacking in confidence by that stage that I thought I need to know mm. if this is on the right work yeah. yeah another and, thing that's common to writers the lack of um self-confidence and self-doubt <laughs> oh, look I I find it's a real roller coaster it's mm. It's I am either wildly confident about what I'm doing and, you know, totally believe that it is the best thing ever or I'm in the pits. You know, mm. like I, there's never kind of this nice, comfortable mm. middle ground, which I'm sure I'd like I, I love these conversations, though, because you do and you should on Insta celebrate the beautiful book and the book launch and you should do all of that. I'm in the middle midst of that at the moment, but I, I never shy away from saying how hard you know, the writing process is or how yeah. hard it is to kind of get people to care that you've written a book. Like, all that stuff's really hard, hard right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your friends say, oh, great. I mean, you know, my friends are really supportive yeah. and they're lovely and they come to launches and they, mm. they celebrate with champagne and all those sorts of things. So the rest um, of the world that you're going to try no, and get to care, no. right? <laughs> it's, look, I think it's really funny because I, I'm sure that I'm not alone in this, that when I had my first book published, um, and it was this little book called Rats, and this is back in 2004, 2004, 2004. And it was my practice book, you know, like it was a it was a book to see if I could get published, basically. Um, and I and that got published, and I expected the world to stop on its axis. <laughs> you know, I thought I thought this is it. This is you know, I all I have to do now is write more books, and, and I'm fine. And and of course, nobody notices. Mm. And and it takes a while to realise that nobody notices, and and it's quite a shock. Um, <laughs> but it's all, what what was a shock? What has been a shock and is a shock to me is the the constant, um, I guess hurdles you've got to go through and by no means is this ungrateful it's just an observation of you get published fantastic okay now you have to do all your edits okay great then there's the next bit okay I've got to you know like the illustrator okay okay then the next bit I've got to do this and the next bit I've got to try and get people to care and I've got to try and get interviews and I've got to get it in bookshops and and then 
I've got to try and get people to sell it. It's like this never ending. You get to one yep. hurdle and then there's another one straight in front of you. So it's really it's funny, interesting isn't it? Because you because you, mm. you start off thinking it's just about the writing, mm. and it's so much not. Mm. But, you know, the whole the whole business of it is is so mm. extended. I mean, I, I I'm sure that. Um, authors in the 1940s and the 1950s didn't actually have most of this you know they, <laughs> they, they could actually just write I mean they mm. still have to do the edits and the copy edits and proofreading and all that sort of stuff but then they just kind of went back to their little cottage in on the outskirts of Melbourne and and sort of ignored the rest of the world and waited for their royalty checks to come in but uh, that but sounds now, like a plan. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> but now it's um, it's it's really different. The, mm. the business is really, mm. really different. And I think um, writing for children is also really different because not only do you have to keep reinventing yourself, but you keep having to find a new audience as yeah. the children age yeah. out of your. That's book, absolutely you know? true. Yeah. And and I think um, if you're writing for adults. Uh, there are adult authors who I will read anything that they, mm. that they write, you know, and, and as long as they keep up the standard, which, which the ones I love do, um, then I will just keep reading them. Mm. But, and it's a bit of a, and, and um, I, think it's the same. I think it can be both positive and a bit negative, negative because you're always trying to reinvent yourself for a new audience, but it's kind of good. Your audience is never going to get sick of you because before they yeah. can get sick of you, they're going to be grown up and you've got a whole yeah. new audience to go forward with. That's true. That's, That's true. And there is, a, there is a particular delight in having somebody who's about 25 coming up to you and saying, I loved your books when I was 12 and I reread them the other day and I yeah, still love them. That's you know, nice. I mean, that's the nicest mm, thing. It is. And those childhood books, they're really special. They stay with you. You know, I still yes. remember books that I, I, that I read as a child yeah. or my parents read to me. Like, and they still remain, even if you probably, you know, they've outgrown them or you don't enjoy them or whatever it is, you know, they're special to you because they're more than a book. You know, they become yes. this memory yes. or this, you know, it's almost like a time capsule. I, I think that about picture books. I think picture books become a time capsule because they're the ones that you read it's to your kids true. in bed and you read over and over again because they want yeah. the same book read to them them over and over again so i remember cranky bear cranky bear i could i could recite that without the book so we'd be out (laughs) and my kids would be you know upset or crying i'd be like i just i just hold them and i just recite cranky bear like i didn't even i didn't even need the picture book anymore (laughs) the very cranky bear now a question i ask all my guests and you're not going to escape this question is why do you write why do I write? Um, I write because I am happiest when I'm writing. I write because my my mental health is best when I'm writing. You know, like it it it's just something that satisfies something in me. And um, and there are always stories going around in my head, and the delight of getting them out of my head and onto paper, and then shaping them into something that um, that lifts off the page. Mm. It's such a joy. So, yeah, those reasons. Yeah, and they're really, and really important be- reasons. Because, also because, actually, this is something kids ask me in, ask me in schools a lot, and, and the answer I give in schools, and probably the truest answer on top of what I've just said, is because it's like reading only better. Mm, um, I like that. Because when I read, I like to immerse myself in a story, you know, mm-hmm. like a story that I can dive headfirst into and stay in that world for a little while is my favourite sort of story. Yeah. If I'm writing a book, I can dive headfirst into that world and stay in it for 
nine, 10, 11 months. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, it's even better than a book than, I love than being that. able to read. <laughs> well, it's been so nice to have this chat with you. You know, I know that we saw each other at CBCA and I know that, you know, we've had other dealings with each other, but it's the first time that we've been able to have this sort of long chat on the podcast. So it's been lovely. I've, I've actually really enjoyed watching, you know, your journey and your transformations. And, you know, I think we should always continue these um, reinventions and transformations because that's what, you know, makes yeah. people interesting and, and that's how we evolve. So I love just watching, you know, your journey through your writing, I think. Thank you, Danny, and thanks for having me on. That was lovely. It's been lovely to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs>